Hey friends, my name is Kathy Ritchie, and I like to talk about things that can make most people uncomfortable. And my latest podcast really hits a nail on the head. It's called Period, The End, but not really, and it's about menopause. The fact is, anyone with ovaries will go through menopause, and most will have symptoms. We're talking hot flashes, anxiety, sleepless nights, vaginal dryness, even abnormal bleeding. In period the end, I aim to give you more information from menopause experts because this chapter of life can be gut-wrenching, exhausting, and just plain confusing. Information is power for you, your partner, your children, your friends, and colleagues. The other thing, this can be an incredibly isolating time for women, and now more than ever, we need connection. So let's get a little uncomfortable. In this episode, we're gonna talk about hot flashes. Of all the menopausal symptoms out there, hot flashes are the hallmark. Oh, there are plenty of other symptoms, but this one can be pure hell for some women. Hot flashes feel like all of a sudden the thermostat in the room has jumped 20 degrees in one second. Hot mess. To me, hot flashes are the worst part of it. They wake me at night, they catch me all during the day, and I feel like I'm burning up from inside. A sudden heat wave, like somebody turned off the AC. It's an overwhelming feeling of warmness coming from the inside out. My entire body is engulfed in what feels like a blanket of fire, well, a sweaty blanket of fire. So what is a hot flash? According to the Mayo Clinic, vasomotor symptoms, also known as hot flashes and night sweats, are the most commonly reported symptoms of menopause, and they can last for minutes at a time and persist for years in some cases. Hot flashes affect women around the world, and that's what Professor Lynette Siebert, a biological anthropologist in the Department of Anthropology at UMass Amherst, happens to study. Well, I think you'd be surprised by how similar it is in, in many places, and at least in terms of hot flashes. I started working in Mexico in 1999, and I worked in Puebla, Mexico. Now I work in Campeche, Mexico. But in between, I've worked in Bangladesh and Paraguay and Slovenia and London. And what she discovered is that despite our many differences, the experience of a hot flash is pretty universal. In Bangladesh, I would ask somebody, well, what are your hot flashes like? And she is living in a cement building, a cement apartment. She's cooking over an open flame in her little kitchen. She can't leave the apartment because of the rules around being a Muslim woman. And she said, I get so hot that I take off all of my clothes and I stand under the ceiling fan. So it's not unlike what happens here in the U.S. where you hear stories about women who stick their head in the freezer or roll down the car window in the middle of a Midwestern winter. We're all seeking ways to cool off. And the, the Maya women in Campeche would tell me about filling a bucket with cold water and then putting the leaves from an orange tree into the water so that the essence of the orange would go into the water, which would make the water colder from the essence of the citrus. And then they would bathe themselves with that cold water whenever they had a hot flash. But here's where things get interesting. 
Think about how you would translate the words hot and flash into another language like Spanish. Caliente destello? Not so much. When we found that in Campeche, Mexico, when we used the word calor versus the word bochorno, and in other parts of the Spanish-speaking world, they'll use oleadas de calor, meaning waves of heat. They'll use sofocos, meaning a feeling of suffocation. So clearly, Spanish speakers are able to paint a much more vivid picture of what a hot flash actually feels like. But seriously, it also means understanding how people in a particular part of the world communicate something as abstract at times as a hot flash. Sievert also ran into trouble in Bangladesh. Because when women would ask us, well, what do you mean by hot flashes? We would describe the hot flash as starting in the chest, working up the neck, working up to the face and, and so on, and being sort of humid. And then we found out that they don't experience their hot flashes that way, that their hot flashes are much more a dry heat that comes out of the top of their head. And the words they use to describe hot flashes, some, some women actually said, it's like smoke coming out of my head. Sievert suspects the reason why comes down partly to their clothing. Because I think the Muslim woman is keeping her head covered and then trapping that heat in. I, I'm going to say something that sounds contradictory, but it's both about trapping the heat in and also in the United States, we often leave our chest a little bit open so we feel the evaporation. And so I just think that clothing, whether we're feeling the evaporation of sweat or whether we're trapping the heat in, I think that clothing changes the relationship to the menopausal symptoms. So while those cultural differences can affect vasomotor symptoms, there's something else too, how we sweat. Biological anthropologists back in the 1960s and the 1970s, when men were studying men, showed <laughs> that men sweat differently in different countries and in different cultures. Men also produce more sweat in different parts of their body. Kind of gross, but also kind of fascinating. For example, in Mexico, I was working in a lab, so I was putting the hot flash monitor on women in the lab, and a woman would say to me, oh, I'm having a hot flash, I'm having a hot flash. And I would look at my polygraph, and she was not having a hot flash, and I would say, are you sure? Which I shouldn't say, because <laughs> of course her experience is the gold standard. But what I wasn't picking up was that she was having a hot flash on the back of her neck. And in Mexico, women were much more likely to report hot flashes on the back of their neck than we ever do in the United States. And I think that that's not culture. I think that is probably a biological difference in where people sweat and how much sweat we produce. By now, you're probably wondering why she's doing this work. Well, like Siebert said, a lot of it has to do with the fact that for a long time, men were studying men and sort of taking what they learned and applying it to women, which doesn't always work. Other times, her work was being done in collaboration with others to answer bigger questions about female health. Hot flashes affect upwards of 80% of women, in the US at least, and clearly affect women globally. But I asked Siebert, are there symptoms that tend to affect women in one country and not another? 
In Mexico, women very rarely associate depression with menopause, very rarely. They might talk about irritability with menopause, maybe some mood changes with menopause, but not, not depression, where in the United States, I think thinking about having a transient depression during the menopausal years is pretty widely accepted. According to the Menopause Society, women experience double the rates of depression during the menopausal transition. And for women who have a history of depression, those rates are even higher. The reasons why vary. It could be that some of us are more sensitive to the hormone fluctuations that take place leading up to our last period. It could also be lack of sleep. Hot flashes and night sweats can interrupt a person's sleep. I mean, imagine baking, then waking up in a pool of sweat night after night. And a lack of good sleep can make you 10 times more likely to experience depression, according to the publication Johns Hopkins Medicine. But again, there are a lot of reasons why women suffer from depression, from biological reasons to the fact that our lives can be incredibly complex and stressful. But here's something else Sievert tells me, which is an oh wow moment, at least for me. Okay, first the setup. Sievert's in Mexico, and she's having the women answer questions about their menopausal experience. And one of the questions was, do you think that a menopausal woman is necessary or unnecessary? And the women were like, eha, you know, like this is so obvious. <laughs> it is necessary. In Mexico, she's taking care of the children still because children will live at home well mm -hmm. into their 20s. I mean, we do that more now here in the U.S., but there it's the norm in Mexico. So they're taking care of their children. They're taking care of their grandchildren. They're taking care of their own parents. They're taking care of their husband's parents, whether or not their husband is still living with them, because in the cities, these husbands have gone off or these are the second family of the husbands and but they're still negotiating all of these social relationships they're totally necessary and i think that they don't have that same risk of depression in the sense that they are so central to the life of their family and i think that there is a there's a protective effect they're exhausted so maybe they're actually getting a good night's sleep, unlike so many American women who just can't. They're exhausted, but they're not depressed. And I'm generalizing because, of course, everybody's of different. Course. But right. I think that that is one difference between the women of that age in Mexico and the women of that age in the United States. And this sense of community where you're surrounded by family and friends at what seems like all times exists in Bangladesh, too. In fact, it actually impacted Sievert's work at one point. It was so hard to do a survey with just one woman because her sisters would come in, her neighbors would come in, her daughter would come in. And, and we would say, well, when was your last menstrual period? And she would say, oh, I think it was, you know, last week or so. And then one of the neighbors would say, no, no, honey, it was this, 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 you know. And, and then there would be this discussion because everybody knows everything. <laughs> about everybody and wow. so it just is you know this you can call it social support you could call it social stress i think that there is is both going on but she's never alone 
I think it's important to underline that being surrounded by family, friends, or neighbors does not make the symptoms go away, but it does seem to have a protective benefit. So the question is, how do we cultivate a stronger sense of community here in the U.S. where women are truly and genuinely supported, rather than what it often feels like, which is that we're expected to do all the things at home, in the workplace, when it comes to child rearing, or caring for our aging parents. And a lot of us are doing it, at the expense of our health, our careers, our relationships, and without that village to lean on when life gets messy. Next time on Period, The End, we talk about the health implications of hot flashes. We also see marked changes in lipids, particularly that LDL cholesterol, that bad cholesterol, oftentimes shows an uptick right during the menopause transition, again, above and beyond the effects of age. I'm Kathy Ritchie, and thanks for listening.